If anybody out there still needs a seat, I need to see your hand. Anybody missing a seat out there that's trying to get a seat? All right, we got it all worked out. And um, thank you, Stephen. We've got the air running, not the heat. Now, don't get more excited about that than the fact that he is risen. That's what we need to be most, most excited about today. So how many of you guys maybe uh, grew up experiencing that um, grandma's house kind of a Sunday where you'd go over to grandma's house for lunch after church with the, the whole family? If you experience that, you know um, the same thing that I know, and that is that if you're the cousins, if you're the kids, then y'all are shoot outside until the dinner's ready because we can't have you in here messing things up, right? You're going to just run it all run amok if you're in here. So then it's totally out of the ordinary when this one Sunday I'm pulled in from outside. I walk through the front door and I can smell the gravy on the roast and I can smell what I'm certain are Grandma Pat's famous rolls and I am just praying as I walk up those six steps that there is a butterscotch pie on top of the fridge. This day was different because it was Easter and it was so full of food and goodies and family and friends that the dining room table didn't have room for us to eat at it. We couldn't set our plates there. I know you know what that feels like right now. You're like, I don't have room. I can't breathe. And that's what it felt like. And I know that's what you feel like. So we'll try to keep this less than three hours. That's a joke. Okay. You know, that's a joke. Good. Um, so uh, it was one of those special days where there was just so much food and so many people. The adults sat at the kids' table, and the kids sat on the floor or outside or whatever we did, but we just made room because it was a special day. Now, it's that time of year also where some of us, maybe the more discerning or the more contemplative Christian, might say, what does an egg have to do with Easter? It's okay. It's, it's okay to think that because it has nothing to do with Easter. Now, uh, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, um, our family pastor, Megan Hodge, said, well, actually, uh, so if you'd like the history of how an egg had something to do with Easter, you should see Megan Hodge because she can explain it to you. And it's very, very interesting. But I'll just be honest, the egg has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Today is where it's, it's about so much more than a, a great meal with our family, even at grandma's house. It's, it's about so much more than, than eggs, even if they're filled with candy. And it's about so much more than the great pictures that we're probably going to take of our families. Because it's a day that we, we recognize and we remember, we celebrate the new covenant of his body and his blood broken, shed for us, that we might receive forgiveness of sins, that we have hope in the resurrection. We have a, an eternal Lord and Savior, a King, Jesus Christ. We celebrate that today. Um, I bet that some of you will remember the person that taught you how to play checkers. And you might even remember like where you, where you learned to play those checkers. I remember my dad uh, sitting down on the living room floor with me. I remember the cardboard checkerboard just kind of sitting all wonky on the carpeted floor there and putting out those plastic pieces. I just, I thought they were ammo for throwing at your little sister. And I found out there was like a whole purpose, a whole game that wasn't throw them at your sister that I, I grew to, to really enjoy. Now, the first time you played that game, probably like me, it didn't take long for you to discover that when whoever's teaching you, in my case, dad, gets to that back row, what happens? Right? Dad says, king me. 
And then you find out that not only were you bad, but now you find out you're terrible. Because he's moving all over the place. He might as well flip the board. Because the king can do everything. The king can do all kinds of things that all these other little measly pieces just they just can't do. So then from that moment forward, if you're like me, you're just thinking, man, I just want to survive long enough in this game of checkers to get to that back row and be like, hey, dad, king me, right? You're just, you're just living for that moment where you can get to the back row and you can have all the power and the glory and you can say, king me. Checkers, resurrection, Easter, all related, I promise. But first, Sophie and Aiden, neglected, abused, abandoned. Before the age of five, Sophie will experience more pain in her life than most adults who live a full adult life because her dad around 16 picked up alcohol and he never put it down. At around 18, he got Sophie's mom pregnant. And somewhere in there, they started living with her parents in the basement where he surfed the couch and he never got up unless it was to get a beer. He never got a job. And so pregnant Sophie's mom is starting to feel the stress of no income because there's a baby on the way. And the happiest day that she has in her life that she ever remembers because her life is so full of pain is the day that she had this baby, Sophie. But then, like any family welcoming a newborn, every burp and every bottle and every diaper is just like stoking the fire of this super volatile relationship. They live in a pressure cooker. Mom and dad's veins are popping out of their neck because when the baby cries, they scream, they argue, and nobody will let anybody else sleep, so there's really no sleep to be had. There's a financial pressure. There's a pressure to perform as a new parent. There doesn't seem to be any way out. So the stress just eats away at their hearts, and, and dad thinks, you know, I've, I've got a way out of this, and he gets a new girlfriend. So of course Sophie's mom doesn't hang around. She gets out. Dad gets a new girlfriend. They move in with her parents now. Sophie and her mom trying to make it homeless with a baby. She turns from crack and heroin to meth. Because what do you do with all the stress of a baby? Nowhere to live. No food. No diapers and no formula. She gets so strung out that she loses baby Sophie. But it's okay because Sophie can go and live with dad now. Couch surfing a new couch. Still not working a job. Got another girlfriend pregnant. Soon Aiden's born. And you know how it goes. The whole cycle just repeats because there's no way, there doesn't seem to be any way out of this stress. <clears throat> Sophie and Aiden grow up knowing they're going to share a blanket on the floor in whatever room dad gets to sleep on the couch and we're not going to see mom anymore because she's gone doing other things to relieve her stress. Sophie finds herself kind of half wishing that dad would get another girlfriend because maybe she'd be around to love her. Maybe she'd notice her, but half wishing she doesn't find another girlfriend because it's going to be another house. They're going to have more kids and maybe they'll be bigger and meaner. And they might have dogs. There might be adults that come in that house that no one watches she might get hurt even more. See, it's this kind of suffering that leads a person who maybe is even here this morning to say, how could a loving God let something so horrible happen? 
It's this kind of thing that maybe you and I will even wrestle with sometimes when we say, how could a loving God let something like this happen? But this isn't something a loving God lets happen. This is a world that isn't like the one he created. He created a beautiful, a perfect world. He called it good. He called it very good. And in God's paradise that he created, we were in a, a perfect relationship with him. Uh, scripture says it this way, and God saw everything he made, and say it with me, everything he made, and behold, it was very good. But then, although we were in paradise, in a perfect relationship with God, scripture says then in Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, so he introduces doubt, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree, any tree in the garden. See, right there in God's paradise, we choose sin. And this is where humanity first decided, maybe I'll trust me. Instead of trusting God, maybe I'll turn my back on this relationship with my creator and I'll just trust me. So to recap, God didn't make this Sophie and Aiden broken world of suffering. We wrought this world by taking the the free choice that he gave us, the, the will to decide and to turn our backs on him and to introduce sin into the world and thereby introduce death into the world. We've created the disaster we live in when we decided to start trusting ourselves. It's, it's this problem, it's this sin that we, we continue this today. We, we stand in a, in a world that he created, that we broke, and we stand in the world he created by his breath. But, and then we use the breath that he gave us to declare, King me. It's like we get to the back of the checker and we think we're really something. And we're really somebody who doesn't even know how the game is played. Paul writes it this way in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's by our choice, not just the choice of Adam and Eve, but I, our willful, daily, persistent choice to turn our backs on God, that we, we eliminate the relationship and we introduce suffering into our lives, the lives of others. It's, it's that sin by which every man, every woman, every child will now not only suffer, but then also die. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. That means that the result or the consequence of sin is death, because in God's paradise, we chose sin. So sin, Sophie and Aiden, resurrection, checkers, we're going to tie all this together, because in God's providence, he chose us. In spite of the fact that we continually choose sin, in God's providence, he chose us. It's It's part of what we're celebrating today. It's the way that he chose us 
that we celebrate. Uh, Paul writes this, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So justification is required to set us right with God. And I said we we're going to tie it all together. And then I went and got this massive like $15 church word and drug it into the middle here. But I think it's because this, this word justification is actually the, the key that unlocks the relationship between resurrection and sin and Sophie and Aiden and suffering and checkers. Justification envisions a, a courtroom with a perfect judge, God, and us, the accused. And as we stand before God, we have this this predicament that is just unsolvable because we have a perfectly just and righteous God, and we are full of sin. And we're the ones that blew the whole thing up to begin with. We chose sin. We keep choosing it. But God chooses us. So who here has been in a courtroom before? Any of, any of you, go ahead, raise your hands. I, I didn't say who's been convicted or accused, but go ahead and keep your hands up if you've been convicted. I'm just kidding. How many, all those hands went up all of a sudden. I think you guys are just a little late though, right? Okay, so who here has been uh, maybe pulled over before? I need like eight more hands. Yeah, I need a lot. I had a speeding problem. Um, I like to say it's solved, but I will say that my last ticket was actually for a failure to signal. It was like my introduction to old man. Here you go, you're old. I received a ticket for failure to signal. That was miserable. But, but we have all experienced something uh, like that encounter with the law, where we are the ones found to be breaking the law. Breaking the law. Man, first service got that, you guys. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Right? Okay, we got some more theologians. In just a second, called The Clash. I expect your participation. Okay, so we, we have all experienced that breaking the law moment where we sit before a judge or we maybe sit in a car before a policeman or policewoman who pulls us over because we're guilty. And you know that feeling of needing someone to kind of help you through things here because you deserve punishment. And in our hearts, in that moment, I've done it myself, you, you just really want to get out of the fact that you're guilty. And if it's a policeman, you might get lucky. I've literally never had my dad as still a policeman to this day, 35 years. I have got out of zero tickets. Super frustrating. Man, you would think connections help, and they don't in that case. But we in our hearts, when we're not remembering that we're also guilty, we really demand for people like the father of Sophie and Aiden, we want justice. Because man, is that wrong. And it's not okay when people get off on technicalities. Now, maybe in a, in a different way, we're standing before a perfectly righteous, all-knowing God who is a judge. The popular theologians, the clash said, breaking rocks in the hot sun, I fought the law and the law won. So there's kind of like two different ways you can go. You can fight the law, and the law's gonna win. So we stand before the law. We stand before a judge. We stand before a policeman. We understand that we are not gonna win fighting the law. But then there are these other worldviews that come into play, and they say, well, maybe, maybe the judge 
Maybe the judge, the perfect one, the God, little g, little tiny God, maybe he could just let you off. He could let you slide. Maybe, maybe you could just be reincarnated and you could try living life all over again. And maybe by your own good works, eventually you'll find a way to eternal life. And in your heart, you know it's trash. You know it's garbage. And you might even have friends who kind of half-heartedly, they place their hope in some kind of a lie like that. And the truth is, We demand justice. And the only way to get that justice is to have a perfect judge who knows the heart of man, who can judge justly, who is righteous. But here's the problem. If he's going to judge justly, then he can't just let you off. If he's going to remain perfect and righteous, he can't just let it slide. There's no way to have perfect justice and a righteous judge and us to get off. Am I the only one that feels right now like I need a really good lawyer? Like I want somebody who comes and say like, if the glove don't fit, and that's how we know how old everybody is. Because we all know if the glove don't fit, you must have quit. We need someone to speak the judge's language on our behalf. We need someone who knows the the language of the perfect God judge. And we need someone who knows the situation of man stuck in our sin, continuing to make these disastrous decisions that destroy the work of God on earth. Someone who's on the judge's level who could maybe show that somehow all these wicked people, myself included, could possibly be seen as righteous, as deserving of the restoration of that relationship that we destroyed. So how does a wicked and warped world find hope? That's a question that if you're a believer, you've already answered. But if maybe today you're just exploring like, man, there's got to be some answers. And I'll tell you what, Christians get pretty psyched on this one Sunday, so I'm going to go check it out. And what the heck with the eggs? All right, forget the eggs. They got nothing to do with this. But I believe, and we believe, that there is a way for perfect justice to be served. John writes, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus earns the right, because of the perfect life he lived, to enter a place that we can't go, to make a sacrifice we can't make, a perfect sacrifice once for all sins for all time, he enters the heavenly tabernacle that only a perfect high priest can enter. So in this heavenly courtroom, Jesus then is our advocate. He's our priest. He's our sacrifice. Great news, but we're stuck with the problem of sin still. We're kind of still living in this broken Aiden and Sophie world. Paul writes... That Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. So we're beginning to tie all of this together now, I hope. I I had to take you through a great big word justification to get there, but I know you're all smart, so I think you're going to get it. I I think that we we can tie together checkers and resurrection and Aiden and Sophie and sin, which required death, that Jesus died on our behalf. Paul continues, God presented him, Jesus as the atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood in order to demonstrate his righteousness. So one more big word, atonement. It's by Jesus' death on our behalf 
that God's justice is perfectly complete. So now we can have a perfectly just God, a perfectly righteous God, a God who knows the heart of man and who who can deliver the punishment perfectly. But because of the wrath of God is so mighty that none of us could withstand that, Jesus stood in our place. He accepted our punishment. The righteousness then of Jesus is seen by our judge by God as ours. Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might look as though when we stand in that heavenly courtroom that we then might appear to be as righteous as Jesus. So he's not only our advocate, but he's our sacrifice, as I said, our priest, the only one who could make all of this tie together and work in a way that is sufficient for both the holiness and the justice of God and also for the forgiveness of our sin, the restoration of our relationship. But why does all of that matter? Why do we talk about that today? In other words, why did Jesus have to raise from the dead? Isn't death enough? Well, it's it's more than enough to say that there's not another religion that, that anyone has ever discovered or propounded to be even true, let alone have proof for it, that ever had a savior who said, I'll die and I'll rise again, and then actually did it. That not only that, but he has to raise, Paul writes it this way in Romans, he was delivered over to death for our sins. And here's why Easter's critical, because he was raised to life for our justification. So we now stand in the courtroom. We stand before the policeman and we're not guilty. Before the judge and we're not guilty. Before the Lord, the perfect judge, and he sees the righteousness of Jesus given to us by his death and resurrection. Paul writes this in Ephesians. He says that In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our our sins. So we're completely forgiven. We're absolved. So we're tying it all together here, I hope, with a couple of big words. But I think we can piece this together as we look now at sin and Sophie and Aiden and the results of our decision to reject God and to turn away from him as we found that back row of checkers. And we see that resurrection is a critical piece of our restoring this disaster that we've made of earth to a perfect relationship with God on no part of our own, but only by his blood. Sin was not only Adam and Eve's choice, it's our choice. Every day we make the choice. We turn our backs on God and we demand, King me. But we're terrible kings. We need a true king. So it's kind of the the moment of the sermon that most people will start to begin to say as the first sermon recorded in the book of Acts, people start to say, so now what? What then must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. That means turn away from your sins. And that is what we have to do. But I, I would just offer that whenever we're saying, whenever we're saying, well, what do I have to do? We're saying it maybe in a different way because we're these fiercely independent, freedom-loving, red-blooded Americans You can amen that. It's okay. I am proud to be an American. It's great to live in America. We enjoy the freedom of worshiping freely today, a God who saves. But we love that independence. And so sometimes when we ask that question, what do I have to do? It's kind of couched in this 
sort of king me mentality that says, you know, I just got this checker. I don't want to keep it. Feeling pretty powerful, building my own little kingdom. What do I have to do? What is it that I must do? Because I still kind of like the idea of king me. So there's great news because Jesus answered this. And he answered it after his resurrection. And I want to read from you uh, from Matthew chapter 25. He, he's talking to his followers. He's talking to his friends. He's talking to the ones who will go on to lay down their lives for him, some of them. And Jesus is talking to them. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, imagine the sky splitting and all the angels, thousands upon thousands, Jesus coming on a white horse as he tells John, he will sit on his glorious throne. Notice who's not on the throne. That's me. That's you. There's one man who can occupy this throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left, and then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, so what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Jesus is telling us, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me, a, what, did, what did we give him, Georgetown? We gave him a, a drink and, and then I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you a drink? And then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed and the eternal fire. For I was hungry and you did not give me food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these you did not do to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment for eternal life. So it might ask, I'm sorry, it might help us then to put all the pieces together, the back row of checkers, sin and suffering, Sophie and Aiden and resurrection, to ask the question then, what kind of what kind of people are we becoming as citizens in the kingdom of heaven? Believers, when you've repented and you've been baptized, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a deposit that secures your salvation for eternity. And it's also a gift that begins to regenerate you from the inside out. It makes you and me like Jesus. It makes us new. He gives us a new heart with new desires, and we become agents of love in the world. What does that mean? 
It means that we get to the back row of checkers and instead of saying, King me, we say, I'm going to follow a new king, a true king, a king of kings. And like my king, I'm going to die so that he can raise me up new and I'm going to live a brand new life. And as an agent of love, maybe now in this world that we've destroyed with sin, he can then by the power of his Holy Spirit at work in his believers, his church, that's us. He can then express his love on the multitude scale of millions of those who call him king when through us maybe his love is expressed. You, you all know a teacher. Everybody in here knows a teacher right now. They've been through probably the worst version of COVID that most of us had possibly imagine virtual teaching in-person teaching back and forth now do both okay now less pay and more days ready go it's going to be great these teachers have suffered immensely now imagine a teacher like that and a kid like sophie coming into that classroom with all of that pent-up anger and all of that pent-up abuse and all of that disaster of sin all pounded into that little tiny heart and that teacher meeting sophie every day that she explodes in anger and pain and that teacher meeting her in spite of her stress with the love of Jesus because he's given her a new heart. I would imagine then that the love of God may be coming through our hearts and our lives and our actions then when we see maybe, maybe baby Aiden who's lost because his mom is high. Maybe you give baby Aiden a home. Maybe you support someone else who's giving baby Aiden a home. Maybe you find baby Aiden's mother at a project and you get her to a mission where you can contribute to baby Aiden's mom now understanding what it means to be loved as a, as a child because she was never loved. She didn't even know how to love. And maybe then because of the way that you have shown the love you received, to someone else who was desperately in need of that love, there's a whole new branch of that family that comes to trust Jesus as their true king. Maybe, and I can, I can imagine the love of the transforming power of a resurrected life who's, who's willing to get to the back row check and say, I'm going to die, that he can do a new work in me because it's only by death that there'll be life. Imagine the death. Sophie and Aiden, when he's sitting in an AA meeting leading 12 other guys saying, I know right where you are. There's hope for you. Look at my life. I've been transformed. I'm now a light because of the work that Christ has done in my heart. But friends, that's only available for people who decide to make Jesus the true king of their hearts and their lives. There's no room for King me. There's one throne and you have to daily place him on that throne. We have to make a habit of saying, Lord, you are the king. I'm ready to follow because I want to seek your kingdom, not my little garbage kingdom where maybe I find the way to someday by the time I'm 65, get a super shiny car. What kind of trade is that? When you could be expressing and sharing the love of Christ with a hurting and broken world. If you're a believer, you've already got this Holy Spirit in your heart. And maybe today you've got to say, uh, 
God, it's time for you and me to talk. So I would ask that you bow your heads. And maybe, believer, you're saying today, I don't know, someone sitting here saying, God, there's, there's no way you could possibly conquer this sin that has consumed my life, this secret sin that I just can't let go of. I feel like it has power over me. And today, God says to you, there's resurrection power available for you when you die. When you get to the back row and you say, I choose death. I choose to follow the true king who's going to share his victory over death and over the power of sin. Christian, I don't know if today maybe it's time for you to say something entirely different to the Lord. And that's, Lord, I've tried to do this alone. I've tried to be a pinky finger out here apart from the body. And it's not turning out so well because I can lift nothing. I can serve no one. I can do nothing. I can bring no comfort to anyone anywhere because I'm not a part of your body. I think it's Lone Ranger Christian. I think it's time I want to give that up and I want to be part of your body. Maybe you've come today and you're recognizing that in your own heart, you've never acknowledged that he is the king. You've made yourself the king You've got this little garbage kingdom where you've set up a special house and you've got Netflix. Things are so cool. But you bring no hope. And you personally have no hope. Maybe today is the day that you say, I'm giving, I'm giving King me up. I'm trying King Jesus because it's only by him that I have hope to become new, to receive new desires, to come into a new and saving relationship with a Savior that loves me enough to give his life, that I might join him in the giving up of mine for the glory of God. Father, this morning it's my prayer that those have to make a decision would decide to place their trust to place their hope exclusively in you, to give up on our own little kingdoms, and to say we're after this moment forward. We're seeking you alone, Lord. You are our one and true king, and your victory is the one we must share in because we can't make it without you. If you've made one of those decisions this morning, I invite you to join me down here as we sing and we can talk and you don't have to share it with the whole world. But I'd love it if you made the decision to make him the king of your heart. Father God, I pray that you would give each of us the courage it takes to get to that back row and to say, Jesus is my true king. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.